Well, hey, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Harris. I am the lead pastor here at Celebration Center, and I just want to welcome all of you, whether you're watching us live this morning or you're joining us through the Facebook or, or YouTube, or maybe you're listening to the sermon podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for making time to be with us and, and to hear this message this morning. We've got a really important, exciting announcement, I, I feel like, at the end of the message um, that's going to tie in with where we're going today. So I've, I've got some really important things to say, and, and it's going to be very challenging, I believe, for us. This whole series has been, I don't know about for you, but for me, it has been. And I've, God has really been speaking to me as we've been walking through this short letter called Philippians uh, in the New Testament. But, uh, you know, this has so much to say to us right now where we are at culturally, uh, with the with the pandemic, uh, with everything that's going on around us, there are all kinds of things that that I that I've been learning that I know God is speaking to all of us, and they're really good out of this little book called Philippians. Now, uh, so you can get caught up on on where we're at. If you've missed any of the series so far, we're in part seven this morning. If you've missed any of this series, I encourage you go to our website ccpuallup.com. You can scroll to the bottom of the page and click on either the sermon podcast link or the YouTube link, and you can get caught up right there. But so that you have a picture of where we're going this morning, we need to understand that Philippians was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, and it was written to a group of Christians living in a Roman uh, colony city called Philippi. And uh, the Apostle Paul is... He's very close friends with these people. They love each other a whole lot. They've done a lot of uh, time together, but they've also partnered together in the gospel. That's a major theme throughout this entire book is how they have been partners in the past and how Paul is encouraging them to continue to partner with him in the gospel moving forward. Now, something that was coming up that was hindering some of this was... Uh, a couple of issues happening within the church. First of all, there was some division among the believers in the church. Now, that may not sound, you know, come to any surprise to you, whether you've been in the church for a while or you've just observed it from the outside. We know that divisions, they come up. People have opinions. Uh, people are looking out for their own interests. You know, all of those kinds of things. Well, that was happening in this church. It wasn't super bad at this point, uh, but Paul is trying to rein them in to bring them back together because here's the, the other part of, of the issue that they were facing. They were facing pressure from the outside culture. Now remember, this is a colony city in Rome. So there's a lot of pressure to live Roman lives, Roman values, which frankly were against the gospel. All right? Roman value said Caesar is Lord, whereas the believers said Jesus is Lord. And the believers, the Christians, were worshiping Jesus, where in Rome you were encouraged and oftentimes directed uh, more than just suggested, okay, to worship Caesar. There was literally a cult uh, that had been brought up where you would worship the Caesar. You would, you would pray and worship uh, the Caesar. So uh, there's this outside pressure that the church is facing, but they're not going to be able to stand up to it because they're not unified from within. That says something to us today, doesn't it? We need to be unified 
from within. We need to be uh, loving one another. And, and that's where Paul has been going up to this point. Uh, this morning, we're going to see Paul express this a little bit more. And he's going to talk about something very specific that the that he does. And he's putting himself up as an example, as a paradigm, as a way of moving forward in, in their current circumstances for the Philippians to follow. So here's our passage. We're looking at Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 21. Yes, it is a lengthier passage. I'm going to read it and then we're going to walk through some of it. So I'm going to read out of the NIV. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and turn there and join with me. Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 21. We're actually going to be picking up about halfway through verse 4. It says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In this passage, you guys, 
we need to understand that Paul is framing his life within the Jesus story. That story we looked at a couple of weeks ago in back in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where Paul says, have the same attitude, the same mindset of Christ who being very in the very nature of God, in other words, being God himself, did not consider that equality with God something to, to focus on himself or to grab for himself. Instead, he emptied himself voluntarily. He chose to serve others, and he was obedient to the point of death on the cross. That's this Jesus story that Paul is framing his life in. I need you to hear something this morning. If we, if you and I are going to live the gospel and its implications as we have been loved and created for, okay? This is what we've been loved and created for, to live the gospel and its implications. In order to do that, we must frame our lives within that same Jesus story. But in order to do that, we're going to need to do a few things. And here's the first thing. Number one, we must identify what we've used to prop ourselves up. We have to identify what it is we've used to prop ourselves up, to puff ourselves up and make ourselves important. Paul opens uh, this section. We're going to look specifically at verses four through six right now. Paul opens this section up by describing what the basis of his life and righteousness with God was, okay? So verse four, Paul opens up. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, you think you've got it down? You think you've got something worth tooting your horn about? I've got even more. I'll show you greatness. Verse five, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. All three of these things are about who Paul's family and ancestors are. The idea is that putting confidence in the flesh means that he's got a leg up on others based on his privileged birth. Yeah, that's what I said, his privileged birth birth. Let that sink in right now with where we're at in our country and culturally and all of the unrest that we see around us. Paul says, that was me. I relied on my pedigree. He moves on. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I've been faultless. I've done it. See, all of this section is about keeping his side of the covenant. It's not about moral perfection. It's not about never, ever sinning. What it means is that everything God said back in the Old Testament about if you will obey my commands, if you will live up to your end of the, the covenant, then I will be your God and you will be my people, okay? Paul says, I've done this. I've done exactly what God has said to do. I have earned this. And so now he's saying from that, in having confidence in the flesh, it's saying I'm owed a leg up because I've earned it, because of who my parents are and because of what I've accomplished. I'm reminded of my, my kids, Caleb and Abigail, calling who gets to, to decide what TV show is watched 
or, or who gets to sit in what seat or, or what we get to have for dinner or anything else like that because of something that they've earned, something that they've accomplished, something that's owed to them. Let's face it though, kids aren't the only ones who live that way, are they? You guys, that's the kind of thing Paul is talking about in these verses. When Paul talks about his reasons to put confidence in the flesh, he's talking about a combination of his pedigree, who his parents are, and his achievements, those things he's worked really hard to accomplish. He's talking here about the kind of life that's owed to him based on who he is and what he's done. We do the same thing. Every human does to some degree or another. We base what life should be for us and we judge others around us by who we are, by what we've earned or what we think should be the, the measuring stick and how hard people should work to achieve things. But when we look back to the Jesus story Paul told in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 of, of this book of, of Philippians, we see there is no place for this kind of living and thinking. When we think the way Paul describes in, in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, what we just walked through, when our attitude is that we've got a leg up in life because of our birth, because of who we are or who our parents are, or because of what it is we've accomplished in life, then we cannot live the Jesus story. We can't live that cruciform life, that life that is shaped and guided by the very cross of Jesus and we will be ineffective in living our citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel. Because that way of life relies on us. It relies on me. It relies on chance and, and, and what I earn rather than relying on God, on his grace on his goodness for us in Christ. The first thing we need to do is to identify what we've used to prop ourselves up. And this requires a process. God calls it confession. Confessing means that we name what is getting in the way between us and God. We recognize it. We call it for what it is. Confess those things that get in the way of relying on God and what he has done for us means we are going to need to spend time thinking and praying about areas of our lives that are outside of the grace and the goodness and the love of God. Anything that I am hanging on to as something that is owed to me because of what I've accomplished is outside of that love and grace and goodness of God. And we need to think about those things and we need to pray through them, not in the sense of, of whipping ourselves or saying, oh, I'm such a low dog and, 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 and being harsh on ourselves, but so that we can invite God into those areas 
so that we can receive his grace, his love, his mercy, and so that he can prune those areas as only he can. Not doing this is a little bit like the time I, I accidentally, I was in high school, I wasn't paying attention, and I accidentally rear-ended a friend in, uh, in, in the high school parking lot. I ran my car into the back of his truck. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. And, and I didn't like that feeling. So what I tried to do was get them to understand exactly how sorry I was so that they would just forget about it. When we go through life not confessing, that's what we're like. We're just trying to sweep some things under the rug, trying to get uh, attention on something else. But you guys, to live our citizenship, that gift that God has freely given us to be part of his family, to live our citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel, we must identify what we've used to prop ourselves up with. We have to identify it. We have to confess it. That might be painful, and it'll probably take a little bit of time. But we must do that work. But we can't stop there. Number two, we must relinquish what we've used to prop ourselves up. We must relinquish. We've got to let go of what it is we've used to prop ourselves up with. In, in uh, verses 7 through 11, Paul continues what it looks like to live out the Jesus story from chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He says this, But whatever were gains to me. In other words, those things that he once held on to as bringing him life, what he thought brought him life. He says, I now consider loss. This is an accounting term. It, it, it was what was once a positive in, in the ledger has now become a debit. It's become a detriment. It's become something that he's constantly paying out on by, by hanging on to it. Why? I've, I've counted it lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, Jesus is far greater in value than any of this stuff. I consider them garbage. I consider them street refuse, things that are dirty and un touchable, smelly, you think of the grossest thing. That, that, that's what he's talking about here. I consider these things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness or a covenantal faithfulness based on the law, something, again, this isn't moral perfection, but being in right standing by fulfilling one's duty to the covenant as a covenant partner, Okay. He goes on, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know, I want to relationally experience and understand Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. All throughout this paragraph, Paul uses the language of loss and gain. 
And at the very center is the prize. At the very center is Jesus. It's, it's a little bit like that game show, The Price is Right. Sometimes on, on some of the games, uh, the, the contestants, they've won something and then they're offered something else. Well, you can give that up for the sake of the mystery door. Will you choose what's behind the door? Only here, there's no mystery. There's only Jesus, which is to say there's, there's everything. To live our citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel, we have to take what we've held on to as life for us that, that isn't Jesus and surrender it at the foot of the cross. To live, we must be conformed to the suffering and the death of Jesus. We have to voluntarily choose what has, what has been gained for us, giving that away. As Jesus didn't consider, consider his, his deity, his God-likeness as something to hang on to for his own gain, but instead went obediently to the cross, so must we. And then so too as Christ was vindicated through his suffering and obedience to the point of death, our goal is realized through that same process. Our prize is gained through loss. We must relinquish what we've used to prop ourselves up with and cling instead to the cross. We have to lose in order to gain. And that takes practice. That takes time. That is an entire life spent in continually coming to God and saying, here it is again. I'm letting this go. I am choosing to lay this down and then directing ourselves in love toward God and toward others. Finally, number three, we must keep our eyes on the price. To live this kind of life, to live our citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel, we must keep our eyes on the price. Here's what Paul has to say about this. This is a little bit lengthier. going to read a lot and, and kind of elaborate a little bit on, on some of this. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained, not that I have already apprehended or taken hold of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He repeats himself here. He says, look, I haven't arrived. I haven't gotten it all down. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not talking about earning anything. He's talking about the final realization of everything that God has already given to him. All right, through a life that is lived in direction of, of loving God and loving others. And so finally, fully knowing Christ at the end, he's keeping his eye on the future. That's what he's doing here. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, 
That too, God will make clear to you. Hey, guess what? God is with us. God is walking with us through this. He is teaching us. He is guiding us. We don't have to worry about having everything all together at the same time. We can give each other grace. We can give ourselves grace. We can know that God is going to take us where, we, where he wants us to be. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. What you do know, what you do understand, keep pursuing that. Let God take care of the rest. Let God bring you along in his time, in his way. Just keep going one, uh, one step at a time. Keep moving forward with your eyes on the prize. He says, join me in this pursuit. Verse 17, join together in following my example. In other words, live together making my way of life the way of life of your entire community. Not necessarily in the particulars, okay? Not that we have to have the exact same life, but that we use his life as a paradigm, as an example. He goes on, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He's going to shift here a little bit and he's going to say, watch out for the kind of example that you follow. Verse 18, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they shun Jesus' cross. They are ashamed of Jesus' cross. Their example is not this picture from of Jesus from, from Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where they're emptying themselves voluntarily for, in order to love others. Instead, they're, they're hoarding and taking for themselves. He says, not all examples are on equal footing. He says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Don't be like them, he says. Their mind is set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await. Now, this eagerly await is not a passive thing. It's not just sitting on a chair on pins and needles and I can't wait for this to happen. I can't wait for this to come. No, it, there's action. There's preparation. There's an ongoing work behind this waiting. The work of actually living our citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says, we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is using the image of Caesar coming from Rome and visiting one of his colonies and bringing some final resolution to some problem. All right? That, that's the idea here. A savior from there, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies that they will be like his glorious body. Here's the end, you guys. Here's, here's the, the goal. It's knowing Jesus. It's becoming like him. If you've had children or you've been involved in training kids, you know that you have to hold a picture of what it is you're trying to guide them towards in your mind all of the time. Because it's that picture that guides you in what you do with those children how you guide them, the way that you train them. The same principle is at work here in this passage. To live our citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel, we must 
keep our eyes on where we are headed. When we do, we will be able to make the next step that we need to take as we face various situations and circumstances. This is part of living the Jesus story, keeping our eyes on the prize. We need to confess. We need to look at and identify those things that get in between us and God, those things that we've used to prop ourselves up. We need to relinquish those things at the foot of the cross, and we need to walk forward, keeping our eyes on the prize. As I, as you know, we've... Uh, We've, I've got a special announcement here, and in this announcement is a unique opportunity for us to live this message out, okay? The governor has made allowance in phase one of the reopen process for churches to hold outdoor services with the following stipulations. We can meet with up to 100 people. We have to maintain social distancing and everyone is strongly encouraged to wear masks. Now, for those of you who filled out the survey that we had this last week, thank you so much. It was very helpful. It gave us some great input. One of the things that we learned through that survey is that almost 80% of our congregation is willing and ready to attend an outdoor service together. So with the governor's permission and with so many of our congregation ready to get back together, beginning next week, June 14th at 10 a.m., we are going to begin holding outdoor services as the weather permits, okay? Now, I need you to hear me that we will also continue our online services for anyone who cannot join us in person, or if you're just uncomfortable joining a group, if you're not ready to do that yet, listen, I need you to hear this. I do not expect you to be there. I am not demanding that you be there. You are not a stronger Christian for showing up and, and you're not a weaker Christian for staying away. Please hear me say that. There will be zero judgment for those who simply are not ready yet or, or for health reasons or whatever reason cannot attend yet. We understand and it's okay. We're going to continue our online services, all right? As a matter of fact, the same message I preach online is going to be the message that I preach outside. Now, here's where we get to practice what we've been talking about this morning. You guys, everyone and I mean everyone, has an opinion about COVID-19, how it's being handled, uh, what, how dangerous it is or isn't. I mean, just think about it. You can go online and you can Google all kinds of things and you can find all kinds of articles and videos that support your opinion. And we like to kind of watch those things and read those things and, and it makes us feel better because it, it validates our, our position. Okay? It doesn't matter if, if you're less worried about it or if you're very worried about it. You can find things that, that are going to bolster your opinion. Here's what I want you to do. Recognize this is part of us living this cruciform life, of, of living a life worthy of, of the gospel and, and, and um, 
living in light of the cross with one another, being unified together. We need to recognize that our position, though we have every right to hold it, whatever your position is, your position is less important than people. If you think there isn't much to worry about, check your opinion at the door, so to speak. Okay? Leave it at home and love the people who hold the opposite view. If you think there is something more to worry about, if you don't like those people who are less worried or, or who are less concerned, I should say, about the situation and, and everything going on than, than you are, leave your opinion at home. Love those who have the opposite opinion. You don't have to hold their opinion. You don't even, as I said, you don't even have to come. We can still be unified in our love for one another. You guys, I need you to hear me say this. It is okay for us to disagree. We can disagree on this. What is not okay is for us to be divisive. To hold on to our positions, our opinions above loving others. Because here's the reality. Just as COVID-19 is very real, and just as there have been many tragic deaths, I want you to hear me say that, there have been many tragic deaths throughout this virus and because of this virus. Just as that is true, the realities of depression, of broken families, of job loss, of, of, of uh, a downturn in mental health, and and all other things in, in those realms, those are just as real. We are facing an epidemic of more than, than COVID-19. Yes, it is an epidemic. Yes, it is a pandemic. And yes, it is dangerous. And we need to be aware of that. But we also need to understand that the world around us is, is dying for hope, you guys. It's dying for hope. And we need to prayerfully and as safely as possible minister to the people who are suffering from one or more of these other issues by ministering to them in person as, as they want it, as they need it, as they come to us for it. I need you to hear me say that, okay? So here's the plan. Weather permitting... We are going to meet on the hill next to the parking lot beginning next Sunday, June 14th at 10 a.m. We will not be taking offering, not, not handing, uh, passing things around, okay? We're going to continue to do all of that online or you can continue to mail in your offering. We are not going to have snacks or communion. We are not going to have coffee available. So if you need snacks, bring them. If you need coffee, bring it with you. We are not going to have greeters shaking people's hands. We are going to maintain social distancing. We will have some people helping others find a place to sit and make sure that we are maintaining that six foot dif uh, distance between one another. Everyone who is attending is going to be expected to bring their own blanket or chairs. We're not gonna provide those. It, it, again, this is a safety thing, okay? So bring your own blanket or chairs. 
to sit on and maintain six feet social distance. Now, your kids are welcome to come. We want you to bring your children. We hope you attend as a family, but your kids need to sit with you, okay? Everyone attending is strongly encouraged to wear a mask, though we do also need to understand that there are people who, because of medical reasons, can't wear one, okay? So we're going to have grace on those who can't. Now, should we need to cancel an outdoor service due to inclement weather, we will put up a notice on Facebook at least an hour prior to service starting. And as I said, for those who need or want to stay home, we are continuing our online service. You're going to get to participate with us in this very same message even. You can just do it from home if you need to. Now, I, I need you to hear this. On, this is very important. Anyone who has or has had a fever, cough, sore throat, or difficulty breathing, we are asking you to participate through our online service. Please stay home if you have been sick or you've been around somebody who's been, uh, been sick recently. All right? So we are going to move forward with this and we're going to do it as cautiously and as safely while also meeting the needs of people as much as we can. So here's what I need you to do. Pray. Pray for our church. Pray for our county, our state, our nation. We need prayer right now, you guys. Pray for each other. Love one another. Whether someone holds your opinion or not. Pray and love. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you give us freely the gift of being part of your family, that this is a work you have done for us, that it is not something that we can achieve ourselves or that we can prop ourselves up enough to, to be able to grab a hold of it. It is something that is only received because of your grace, because of your goodness. God, help us to live in a manner that reflects your goodness, to love each other, to live our lives through the cross, denying ourselves, relinquishing those things that, that we've held on to as dear, all for the sake of gaining and knowing Christ, being conformed to his likeness in his sufferings and also his resurrection. God, we need you now more than ever. Our nation needs you now. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. We're like the beggars that you walked by you don't owe us anything, but God, we're asking you for mercy. Give us your goodness, we pray. If you have not yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you want to, I'm going to say a prayer. Just make it yours. God, I want to be part of your family. I accept the gift that you give. I pray that you would transform me from the deepest levels of me. Make me more and more into the image of Jesus, your son. Help me to walk in your grace and to give your grace away. 
Father, for anyone who said that prayer and made it theirs, I ask that you would, you would visit them right now. Let them experience your presence right where they're at as they're listening to or watching this. Let them know exactly how much you love them. God, let us all know that. Let us all experience that so that we can joyfully walk out your life that you have freely given to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, you guys, thank you for joining us this morning. I look forward to either seeing you or interacting with you again through online next week. Let's go this week in the knowledge that we are deeply loved and let's love each other out of that. Have a great week, you guys.